go ahead and turn in your Bibles to John 15. This is the uh, last in our series on the I Am's. And so we've covered uh, the bread of life, the good shepherd, the uh, light of the world, the resurrection of the life, the gate, the way, the truth, and the life, uh, the shepherd. And uh, all of these, and, and all of these, Jesus is the main character, right? It's Jesus saying, I am. And so Jesus is the main character in all of these. Now today's is going to be a little bit different though. It, uh, remember when we did uh, Jesus with a shepherd and sheep? He says, I am the shepherd of the sheep. And so in that one you had a little bit of information about uh, the sheep, which uh, is, is us, right? And today, when we look at Jesus saying, I am the vine and you are the branches, and, and we'll see here in a minute when we read through to John 15, Actually, most of the information here is not necessarily about Jesus, but about the branches themselves. And so in this particular sermon, or or part of our sermon series, this one's more about us than it is about Jesus. And we'll see that uh, as as we go on through. Let's go ahead and read it. John 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I have learned from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command, love each other. So Jesus here is... uh, very explanatory about what He's trying to get them to understand. That they're the branches. I'm the vine. He says, my Father, God, He's the gardener or the owner. And so you have almost a parable kind of a setting here where He's setting out, you know, we have this role, we have this role, and we have this role in the parable. We have God, the owner, gardener. We have Jesus, the vine. And we have the branches, which he's talking to the apostles there, but then it it flows down to you and me as well. And so we have a a parable teaching here of Jesus talking about relationships. Talks a lot about relationships in there, doesn't he? 
talks a lot about loving each other. We have a, a parable about responsibilities. I mean, a number of different times he says, you know, hey, this needs to be done. This is serious business here. There are commands involved, is what he says. And he uses the word command a number of different times. It's, it's, a, it's a parable story teaching about results. About expectations. And so this is really a pretty fascinating uh, passage of Scripture. In verse 2, he says an interesting thing. He says, He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. This idea of fruit is, is important. He talks about it a number of different times. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more as we get into studying it. But he actually is talking here very seriously about if, if we're not fruitful, if we are not productive, if things aren't being done in a right way in the product of our life, there's some serious consequences that happen in a person's life. He says you're going to be pruned off. You're going to be cut off. And he comes on a little bit later and he talks about, uh, in verse 6 he said, If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. So we want to make sure that we're faithful branches, right? Yes. Not dead wood. No. Okay, we don't need dead wood around here. No. We, we, don't, we don't want to be pruned off. We want to make sure that we're living a very fruitful and effective life as uh, we're going through our life. Point number one, we are branches that are connected to Jesus. Ten different times in this passage, he talks about and uses the terminology, remain in me. Verse 4. Remain in me. And I'll remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. And he goes on down. Uh, there's four of them in verse 4. In verse 5, there's one of them. In verse 6, he talks about what it means to not remain. He says, if you don't remain in me, you're going to be like that branch. We just read that. That's going to come on up. Verse 7, he says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you. And he goes on down in verse 9, he says, as the fathers loved me, so I have loved you. Now you must remain in my love. In verse 10, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I've obeyed my Father's commands and remain in His love. I mean, he is, he is on this idea of being connected. You've got to stay connected to me if you're going to be a productive, fruitful person as a branch. If you're not connected to me, as a matter of fact, you're going to be trimmed off. You're going to fall off. You're going to be the dead wood that's on the ground. And he says it's picked up, it's thrown into the fire, and it's burnt. So we've got some serious consequences here, don't we? Yeah. We've got to remain. We've got to stay connected to Jesus and connected to the, uh, to, to the, uh, the, the uh, nurturing and the energy and the uh, strength that's going to come uh, through the vine. Now he says an interesting thing here that I want to also note. He says in verse 3, You are already clean or pruned because of the word I have spoken to you. 
Now this is the end of Jesus' ministry. So He's been speaking to them for many, many, many times, right? He's talking to them. He's helping them. And, and the, uh, the, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John uh, have all the different stories and examples of their relationship with Jesus. And He says this to them. And they struggle with it to understand it and all that. But He says, You're already clean because of the Word I've spoken to you. Now hold your finger here in John 15 and look back to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. You guys out there? Yes. Okay, just a little quiet out there. First Peter chapter 1 verse 22. Talking about this idea of the Word of God. Jesus speaking the Word to them. He says, you're already clean, you're already pruned, you're already set to go because of the Word I've spoken to you. And in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 22, He says, now that you have purified, this is Peter writing of course, now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth, so you have some sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring Word of God. Okay, now let me piece together something here for you. Why do we study the Bible with people that we're helping become Christians? Because in learning the Word and submitting themselves to the Word, obeying it, and it ties that into being born again, which is obviously a reference back to people being baptized. He says, in that process, you are cleaned. You are, you are forgiven of your sins. You're set up. You're ready to go. And Jesus is saying here, I've taught you. You've accepted my teachings. You're clean because you're pointed in the right direction. Like someone that just gets baptized. You know, someone gets baptized. And, and they come up out of the water. Now, how is their Christian life going to go? You have no idea how it's going to go. It may go awesome. It may go terrible. They may be faithful to death. They may be faithful for a week. You don't know what's going to happen, but we know that at least they've been cleansed, they've been set up, they've obeyed the Word of God, and they're good and they're ready to go. And that's what He's saying to them. He says, I have got you pointed in the right direction. You know, sometimes people think, well, you know, if I can just get someone to come to church... They'll, they'll want to become a Christian because they'll see the fellowship and they'll hear uh, a sermon and those kind of things. Guys, if someone becomes a Christian, they're going to become a Christian maybe because of those good influences of coming to church. But think about your own time of becoming a Christian. Your convictions about who you needed to be as a child of God probably didn't come about by what you learned at church. It came about by you actually opening the Bible. Probably your Bible and, and the person who studied with you had their Bible. And, and you read the Scripture. The proper application is made. The discussion goes back and forth. And you're like, oh, okay, I get it. If I become a Christian, I've got to quit stealing. You know, you could come to church for a long time before you might hear the, the, the sermon say something about stealing. You know what I'm saying? But man, when you're studying the Bible, you get your Bible open, eyeball to eyeball with someone, and you're reading through Galatians 5 or a passage like that about sin, you, you get very specific, right? You know, is this in your life? Is this in your life? Is this in your life? And so that's why it's imperative if we want our friends and neighbors and, and family, people that we're reaching out to to become Christians, don't just bring them to church. Although, 
you know, it's a great spot to bring them. Yeah. Amen? Amen? Hopefully good things will happen. They'll, they'll see a lot of the things that they're reading about in the Bible. But people become a Christian as they learn the Word and as the Word has an impact on their life. And Jesus makes uh, a big uh, emphasis of that. But He talks here about this idea of remaining in the vine. You've got to remain. What are different words for remain? You've got to stay. What else? You've got to maintain. Uh, it, it, it leads into the idea of you've got to be a reliable person. You know, you're not in and out and in and out and in and out. You're, you're reliable. You're dependable. You're faithful would be another word to use there. Right? He says you're going to have to make this decision. And he says this a number of different times in the idea of this is something you decide about your life. Let me make this observation for all of us in here. It's important that we understand this idea of remaining in Christ, being reliable, dependable, faithful. That doesn't happen in anyone's life by Mistake. You're not a reliable, faithful, dependable, a person that is tied in to Jesus. This isn't something that happens in your life and you go, Oh, I had no idea I was doing that. You mean I've been faithful all this time and I didn't know it? This is something you do by design. Not by mistake. This is not a surprise. I mean, would someone wake up one morning and say, Oh, I've been married for five years. I never knew. <laughs> I wonder how that happened. That's ludicrous. It's crazy. No one would ever do that. Because we understand that something of, of that level of, of importance in our life is something that is very noticeable. It's very uh, real that, that if, if this has happened in your life, it's happened because you decided to. Now, I'm emphasizing this because sometimes we, we wonder, okay, am I going to be faithful till death? Well, I can tell you, you're never going to be faithful to death unless you decide you're going to be. You know, we're getting to the time of the year when people are going, going off to college. And it always makes me you know, think back to, to when I went to college. And Karina is leaving tomorrow, <laughs> tomorrow morning, to go up to the University of Alaska and uh, start her college career. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, that would be great. But, uh, you know, we're getting to that time of year when people start uh, that, that kind of thing. Uh, I've, I've been a campus minister going all the way back to uh, 1978 at different times in my ministerial life. And I've been a, and a campus minister all over in, in different places. And uh, I don't know of anyone that's ever graduated from college that didn't think about quitting at least once. Now, maybe you did, and if you did, then God bless you. But uh, the vast majority of people 
thought about quitting at least once and, and saying, you know, this is this is. And usually it's your freshman year, you know, because by the time you get to your senior year, you're like, hey, I've got, I, I'm too far in now. I can't, I, I, I can't quit. You know, usually it's your freshman year, and you're like, oh my gosh, this is Mount Everest in front of me, and and uh, you know, you get that one professor that's just an impossible person, and you're like, oh gosh, you know, uh, this person's going to fail me, you know. Uh, and, and that kind of thing, and we all, we know, all of us who probably, you know, went through school, we had one professor like that. I remember my guy. He comes in, he's got this flowing red hair. This is philosophy 101, and and uh, he comes on in, and and and, and he says, uh, I just want you. To, doesn't look at anybody in the room. Just, he's looking around. I just want you to know that half of you are going to drop this class after the first test, and then we're going to have another test, and the half of you that are left, half of you are going to go. And then we're going to get down to the real students. And I'm sitting out, I'm like, well, are you talking big game? Let's see what you got. And so we went through the first test. I flunked it and dropped the class. I said, hey, I, I, I ain't going there. I, I take philosophy by somebody else. Uh, and I did, obviously. But you know what? I mean, you 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 uh, you, you you look at this this thing of you know, can I do this? Can can I do this? And and, and thoughts of, of quitting. You know what? People think they become Christians. They think about quitting. Can I do this? Can I make it all the way? Well, you're not going to be faithful all the way unless you decide you're going to be faithful all the way. Yeah. So well, I don't know. I. You know, I don't know if I can make a decision for what's going to go on in my life years and to come. And I'm saying, absolutely you can. And you should. It should be very easy for you to be able to say and believe, I'm going to be faithful until I die. I have decided it. I have committed myself to it. And I'm telling you here today, and you're going to have to answer this in your own heart, if you haven't made that level of commitment and your personal commitment to Christ, then you need to. Then don't run off and do it because we talked about it here. You get in the quietness of your own room and the quietness of your own home and the quietness of whatever, wherever you need to be. But you better get to the point in your life that if you, uh, if you haven't made that kind of commitment, you do make that commitment. Because if you're walking around with that shabby of a commitment to Christ... It's only a matter of experience and time where Satan will jerk you out and you will be gone. And you'll be the dead wood and not still tied in to the vine. There are many passages of Scripture, guys, that talk about being reliable, being dependable, being faithful. And that should be our commitment. It should be what we decide to do. Now, and, you know, and I think it's fair to note that the Scriptures talk about people that lose it. Look over in 1 Kings chapter 11. Yeah, old Solomon back in the Old Testament. Uh, First Kings chapter eleven. In verse one, it says, "King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's uh, daughter: Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, uh, Sidonians, and Hittites." They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your heart after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives. Whoa. 700 wives. 
700 wives uh, of, of royal birth and 300 concubines. Wow, three and seven's ten. Uh, and and why and and, it's, and what it say? His wives led him astray. Now, no one today in this room is going to do that. Okay, I, I, I get that. None, none of us are going to have three hundred wives in America in, in our t- day and time. You're not going to have seven hundred wives and three hundred concubines. So the parallel is not going to fit in your life in the sense of yeah, I, I may do the exact same thing Solomon did. No, you're not going to do that. But Solomon did something along the road at one point in his continuum. He did something that he knew God said don't do. See, at one time, there was one. You understand what I'm saying? Somewhere along the line, he started doing that which he knew was wrong. And he started doing wrong, he kept doing wrong, he kept doing wrong, and eventually he said, his wives led him astray. And it says in verse 4, Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods. Now, we're not going to do that, but the question is, what, what is it in your life that can lead you out of the relationship with God that you have right now? There's something, there's somebody, there's some sin, there's some uh, uh, circumstance that you need to be thinking about in your life. What is it? Maybe it's money. Maybe it's the desire for money. Maybe it's the fear that you might lose your money. Oh no, I, I, if I lose my money, you know, I'll, I'll be miserable. You know, Whatever, that fear. What, whatever Satan needs to get a hook in you, he'll go for it. So you got Solomon. Look over in the New Testament to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul is at the end of his life in this passage and he's writing to Timothy about actually a common friend of theirs in the Lord. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9, he says, do your best to come to me quickly. So he says, hey Timothy, come quickly. You know, there's some issues going on here. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. We don't know exactly what happened with Demas. But he puts it simply as Demas because he loved the world. He got drawn back into the world. This doesn't make any difference. How long you've been a Christian, you can be drawn back into the world. I can be drawn back into the world. You can be drawn back into the world. And so we've got we've to make this decision here. If I'm going to be the branch that's going to be the faithful branch, the fruitful branch, I've got to make sure that I stay connected to Jesus. Now, this is, this is not just about did you come to church. Are you reading your Bible on a consistent basis? Are you praying your personal devotional life? Do you have a personal devotional life? Or is a quiet time something you used to do when you were a young Christian? Many of you guys became Christians years ago when you were college students. And you're hoping now that your children will become Christians. Your children will more likely become Christians based on what they see is going on in your life. Your children didn't know you when you were in college. (laughs) They weren't born then. You weren't even dating. Your children see what's going on in your life now, today. You want to win your kids to Christ? Have a personal devotional life that they know is going on. You say, now wait a minute, Marty. Jesus says don't do your acts of righteousness so that people can see it. 
yes. <laughs> Jesus did say that. And there's an application of truth in that that we should all apply to our life. I'm simply saying in the context of your home, where you live, and your children live, it should not be a surprise to them that you actually read the Bible! (laughs) They shouldn't be able to say in answer to the question, have you ever seen your dad praying? Other than before a meal. Uh, Well, I don't know. Uh, Huh? No, they, they, they should be very aware of your personal devotional life. Now, obviously, they, you bring them to church. They see you go to church. That's awesome. But they also need to see a personal devotional life that's going on in your life. When my kids were at home, I had my quiet time at my desk or in, in, in a very uh, uh, clear area in, 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 the, uh, in the house where they knew what was going on. Every once in a while, when they got to the appropriate age, I'd say, hey, you want to have a quiet time together? Now, some parents do a lot more of that than I did. Because I didn't want to have my quiet time and their quiet time at the same time. I wanted them to have a quiet time. You say, well, were you concerned that they wouldn't have a good one? I didn't really care whether they had a good one or not. If they were trying, I considered it a good one. Amen. That's awesome. Did you get anything out of it? Uh, no, 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 no. Well, amen. They at least try. <laughs> hey, I have a quiet time sometimes. Don't get anything out of it, you know? If it can happen for me, it can happen for them. Yeah, sometimes you read the Bible and you're like, well, amen. I don't think I got anything out of that today, but... Uh, read the Bible. It's like, you know, it's like taking vitamins, you know? Every, every time you take a vitamin, you know, you, know, like, you, know, you don't feel... Ha! You don't, you know, hulk out. Ha! I feel awesome! <laughs> but you take your vitamins, you, you know, because you know it, it has overall health and it keep you going along the way. You know, that kind of thing. Every time, if you exercise, every time you exercise, you don't come back in and say, that was awesome. <laughs> Sometimes you come back in the house, you're like, that stunk. <laughs> there was nothing about that that I enjoyed other than getting done. <laughs> Being done. But you know what? It's, it has the value of, I did it. I didn't feel like doing it. I didn't enjoy it when I did it. But I gritted my teeth. I sucked it up. And I did it. You say, I don't want my relationship with God to be that way. I would suggest to you that if that's your opinion, you have a very immature understanding of relationships. Every single time that I'm with Chris... I don't say, oh, this is awesome! She is the coolest girl ever! I am so in love with her! You know, sometimes it's, uh, huh, man. She, she, she must have had a bad day today. Every time I'm with my children, it isn't awesome. Every... Every time I'm with any one of you, many of you are my friends. Every time we get together and talk. You know, every time I go out and play golf. You know, sometimes you play golf and you come home and you say, Huh, that's stunk. My grandmother could have hit that putt I missed on 18. What's wrong with me? Relationships are based upon commitment 
And sometimes the commitment is awesome. Sometimes it's mediocre. Sometimes it's A, B, C, D, and F. If you understand what I'm saying. But it's the commitment that I am going to stay in here. I'm hanging in here. I'm going to have ups. I'm going to have downs. I'm going to have times when I'm blowing it out spiritually. I'm going to have times when I'm struggling spiritually. But I am going to make it to the end. That's what it means to remain in Christ. That's why He commands them to do it. That's why He tells them to do it again and again and again. Okay, let's go on. He says, I want branches that are productive. He talks about fruit. In verse uh, uh, 8 there, he says, This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, uh, uh, much uh, fruit, proving yourself to be my disciples. You guys with me there? What is fruit? Fruit is growth. What kind of growth? Personal growth. You're growing. You're getting better. Improvement's always appreciated. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be perfect tomorrow. Just try to get a little better. It's growth, it's productivity. In, uh, in Galatians chapter 5, in verse 22 and 23, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, uh, 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 and, and it goes on, and self-control. Against us things there's no law. These are, the, people say, the fruit of the Spirit. Well, that's what the fruit, fruit of the Spirit is. what the Spirit does in our life. But the Spirit isn't going to do anything in your life unless you allow the Spirit to work in your life. So personal growth, getting better, being more loving. Being more patient. Kindness. Growth in these areas. We ought to be able to look back and see six months ago, six years ago, and say, you know, I'm making progress. I'm getting better. Now, it's not like you get better and it's a straight line of getting better. Sometimes it's getting better and then you regress. But then you reset yourself. i got to get better. And you have that kind of growth in your life. Fruit is serving other people. Helping other people. Someone's life is better because of something you did in their life. It's a result Fruit surely is evangelism. Helping someone become a Christian. That's fruit. You have have helped someone else become a Christian. Fruit isn't all evangelism. It's broader than evangelism. But it certainly includes evangelism. If if you understand what I'm saying. We can't say, well, uh, I'm being fruitful... Uh, but that that you never have anybody you know that becomes a Christian because of your life. Evangelism is part of fruitfulness, but it's broader than that. And the fruitful and the expectation. Realize here, he says that if we're not being fruitful, we're going to be pruned off. We're going to be dead wood instead of growing tissue of the vine. It's imperative that we understand, guys. And some of us, we cringe at this. But it's important for us to understand, Jesus here has expectations for His followers. 
Jesus does not just want people to say at one time in their life, yes, I want to be a Christian, and then go off and do whatever they want to do the rest of their life, and fill out and check Christian whenever they fill out and check what religion are you. Real Christianity is an ongoing relationship with Jesus. And there are expectations from Him in our relationship with Him of what's going to be the product of our life. What's going to be the result of your life. You know, every once in a while it's good to look at your life and ask yourself, what have I done in the last month? What have I done in the last six? What have I done in the last year? What have I done in the last five What is the fruit of my life? That's a good little self-diagnostic. It's a good little look at yourself. And sometimes it's incredibly encouraging. Because you realize, man, I did something that I didn't even you know, know I was going to do at the time. And I'm so happy that I did it. And I did it because I wanted to do what was right. And I see the result. And I'm like, wow, I can't believe that happened in my life. I've mentioned this to a number of you. Having Karina spend this last year. She's leaving in the morning. New chapter of her life. But having Karina live with us for this last year. I didn't plan that. It wasn't like I said, gee, this is what I'm going to do. It was just like, oh, bada bing. Uh, uh, Yeah, it's a good idea. Come on in. (laughs) What a blessing. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Blessing in my life. You know, but we've got sometimes it's important we look back, we've got to ask ourselves, what have I done? What am I doing? And sometimes the answer to that is, is I need to get my tail in gear and do something. Because it's been a long time since I did something. Well, I could say I did something and I'm proud of it. If you understand what I'm saying. And it's important that we have those times in our life where we can we can rejoice in God. Not rejoice in ourselves. This isn't like you know putting a notch on your belt or a notch on your Bible. Here, you know, someone became a Christian. If someone became a Christian, the notch goes to Jesus. You're just the earthly vessel that happened to have the opportunity to help someone become a Christian. The work was by Jesus, not by you. Now, can we be proud of ourselves? Can we feel happy about that? Yeah, I can feel happy about it. I'm like, someone became a Christian. Awesome. I feel good. I'm happy. There's a difference between feeling happy and taking the credit. The credit goes to the Lord. Amen? But you can also feel good about it. You can say, you know what? In spite of being a knucklehead, I did something right. And good things happen. So this, this fruitfulness thing is an important thing. Now the last thing I want to hit here, and this is important, Jesus hits this stuff about love really heavy from verse 12 on. My command is this, love each other as I've loved you. And He goes on down and He talks about how important love is. Now He just said, remember this is a continual conversation in John, back to 13 verse 34, a new commandment I give you, love one another as I've loved you, so you must love one another. He's saying the exact same thing He just said. So in, in 15, when he brings it up, he, he has set it back in chapter 13 as well. And he's talking about the relationships that we have with one another. If you don't know this, and I hit on, on this briefly earlier, if you don't know that you're challenging as a person, boy, I would urge you to look in the mirror. 
I am challenging. I am difficult at times. And peekaboo, so are you. All of us are. I am. And that's why he hits this is so emphatically to love each other. Because we're hard to love every once in a while. If we're being loving, here are some statements that are going to come out of our mouth. Thank you. Please. Excuse me. I was wrong. I'm sorry. It was my mistake. I'll do it. What can I do? These are the kind of things that come out of our mouth when we are being loving toward those around us. They're very simple things. They're things that you know probably people know when they're just little, little children. But sometimes as adults, they're things that seldom or not as much as they should come out of our mouth. Thank you. Thank you. Please. Excuse me. For some of us, I was wrong. Holy. Man, let's call the Chicago Tribune. (laughs) He said he was wrong. I'm sorry. It was my fault. I'll do it. What can I do? These are just little statements. They're obvious things that can come about in our life. But they're the kind of things that when we're being loving, they come out of our mouth. Remember the last thing Jesus says here in our text. This is my command. Not a suggestion. This is not if you can find your way clear, try to do this. This is my command. Love each other. Why would Jesus be so emphatic that His followers have to be commanded to love each other. is because the truth of the matter is, in my life, in your life, in all of our lives, there are times when we are not easy to love. We are not easy to deal with. It would be a lot easier to get a bad attitude toward the person. It would be a lot easier. It would be the natural reaction To be unloving, unkind, unpatient. But you know, if, if you think back to 1 Corinthians 13, you know, all the different descriptions in that great passage about love. Love is patient. Love is kind. And it goes on and talks about all those things. And the last thing it says is love never fails. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. God, God's the owner gardener. His goal is to make this vine as fruitful as possible. We're the branches. Our role to play in this is not to be the gardener. It's not our role to cut off somebody. 
Yeah, sometimes you say, I'm sick of her. That's not your role. Okay? That's the gardener's role. That's the owner's role. We can't, it's not our goal to cut somebody off. It's our role to be the branches connected into Jesus, realizing whatever good comes in my life is because of the energy and power, the sap that comes through Jesus to me. Whatever things I accomplish in my life, to God be the glory. Not because I did it, my intelligence, my endurance, my toughness, my grit, guts, and everything else you got. You got what you got because someone gave it to you, probably. You got what you got because God put you in a position to meet the right people to make you that person. And yes, maybe that's what you become and you're tough as nails. Amen. Give glory to God because He's tougher than you are anyway. You understand what I'm saying? But our, our mentality is I want, to be the, I want to be the branch. I want to be the part that's connected to Jesus that's bringing the good fruit to the gardener, to, to, to the owner. I mean, whatever we're doing, we're doing for the glory and for the praise of God. Because He planted planted us. He takes care of us. He prunes us so that we can be even more fruitful. I hope our study of John 15 here has been uh, effective for you and an encouragement for you. Be dismissed.